Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. There once lived a shepherd whose name was Jack. He'd been told of a thing called wonder, but it was something that he lacked. It occurred to him that this wonder was just a lie he'd been told. So he set out on an adventure to wonder until this wonder he could behold. He didn't know where to start and had no clue what he'd find. But Jack decided he would wonder until wonder was defined. Jack had always loved games, as most children do. So it was to the sheep bowling field he wandered first, wouldn't you? No matter how well he played or how many sheep he knocked over, he got grass stains on his robe, but there was no wonder in the clover. Maybe wonder would be found in something more serious. Games were silly after all, and wonder seemed mysterious. So next Jack wandered right into a job. More than that, in fact, he was the boss. He decided he'd call it Camel Rides by Jack. He gave rides on camels, so the point got across. He made lots of money. That statement is true. But there just was no wonder in his slobbery camel crew. Jack hadn't found wonder in money or games, so he set his sights higher. Perhaps he'd find it in fame. Jack used all his money, changed his clothes and his hair. People who saw him called him Dreamy. His name was known everywhere. Jack had thought he'd find wonder in people knowing his name and in looking the part, but there was simply no wonder in fame. Maybe I'll find wonder in the company I keep, Jack thought with a shrug. His only friends up to then had been sheep. So he went to big parties. He made friend after friend, but he wound up disappointed because wonder wasn't in trend. Sure, the parties had good food, music and laughs, but he hadn't wandered into wonder, at least not down these paths. Jack had tried winning, he tried buying, lots of grinning, and more than enough trying. He was tired of wandering around for something he couldn't find. He sat on the hill crying, I give up, he whined. Then suddenly he heard something that was just faint at first, but it grew louder and louder until from the valley it burst. A group of shepherds just like him, running and shouting, filled with glee. He was confused by their excitement. This wasn't normal for shepherds, you see. Their faces were filled with something he didn't recognize. They told him of the wonder and the stable where it lies. They said he should go. He'd find it just down the road. Jack ran as fast as he could. His pace never slowed. Up ahead was the stable. Humble and small, he could already smell it, the animals and all. But what made him run faster was the radiant light. The stable shone so bright, it looked like day, though it was night. He peered through the door, a great breath he exhaled, as right before his eyes the full meaning of wonder was unveiled. On that night, Jack learned wonder really does exist. He knew it for a fact because it was right there 
in his midst. He wandered so far, thinking wonder was a thing. But as he stood in the stable, he saw that wonder was a king. A king who was born in the form of a babe in an unlikely time, the most unexpected of places. Not surrounded by wealth, luxury, or fame, only gazed upon by a small crowd of faces. In the end, Jack found wonder. It could also be said that wonder had found Jack. Maybe it had sought him instead. From that moment on, Jack didn't have to wander. He never again looked for wonder somewhere yonder. Because that day he knew wonder had been found. Wonder was the baby, the one with the crown. And so, you know, you, you were about to clap. You feel free to clap, girl. You do what you got to do. <laughs> Here's the deal. So, since we all have been reminded of where wonder truly lies, we don't ever want you to forget that wonder is not found in things, but it's only found with the king. And so for you to remember that, we have a special gift from us to you. All of you guys are going to get a copy of this book for you to take home so that you won't ever forget what wonder is. And so you guys can go back. Don't forget your book. Only take one because we're not afraid of tripping you. And um, go ahead and head back to your seats. And don't forget that wonder is truly the king. Thank you, guys. It's a great little book. We appreciate Nick for writing that. And Josh, our children's pastor, did all the illustrations. So they did just a great, great job with that. And none of you parents, hopefully you won't uh, have somebody at your Christmas party you forgot to get something for and you take that gift away from your kids and re-gift it. That would, be, that would be wrong. You would lose the wonder of Christmas for sure. Hey, we are so glad that uh, you're here. One of the things about having the kids up here in the service is when we're talking about wonder, wonder means to be filled with admiration, to be filled with amazement, awe, or marvel marvel at something, and kids have that many times, but somewhere along the line, we've sort of lost wonder. So this service is, is really all about recapturing the wonder of Christmas. That would be from your staff, that would be our Christmas gift to you guys, that God would help you maybe for the first time experience the wonder of Christmas or to recapture it. You know, I was uh, reading the other day about some all-time favorite Christmas movies. If you, you guys are like uh, my family, you probably love to watch some Christmas movies uh, over uh, Christmas break. And, and so I was looking at a list, a, a certain writer said the top three movies uh, of all time, Christmas movies of all time, and you may seen, have seen a different list, but number one was A Christmas Story. You remember the line from that movie, you'll shoot your eye out, oh, Ralphie, yeah, you got that. Number two, It's a Wonderful Life. Every time a bell rings... Angel gets its wings, yeah. Number three might surprise you, Christmas Vacation, National Lampoon, Cousin Eddie. Now, there's a lot of lines from that movie, most of which we can't use. Uh, <laughs> my favorite is when oh, oh, Edward rolls up with, uh, you know, his, his RV and Clark's looking out the window at it and he asks him what it is. He said, that there is an RV. It's a good looking vehicle, ain't it? We'll be taking it with us when we leave next month. And... Uh, you may have a different line. I like that one. I was walking through the den a couple nights ago, and uh, one of my boys, uh, he, he was watching, uh, uh, he and his girlfriend, Home Alone was on. They were watching that. I've seen Home Alone about 550 times. Haven't you? 
I mean, it's a, it's a good movie, but really when you really think about it, it's, uh, it's kind of weird. Like that a family would leave on an international vacation and leave a kid behind in the attic. That's problematic on a lot of levels, isn't it? I mean, sort of miss that. See, my problem with Home Alone and, and, and my problem with Christmas Vacation is I don't, I, when I rewatch Christmas Vacation, I fast forward it until Eddie shows up because to me, Christmas Vacation doesn't start until Eddie shows up. Anybody else like that? And Home Alone doesn't really start until sort of the robbers show up. You know, the bad guys show up and then all the funny parts start. So the, I, I, sort of, I sort of fast forward and, 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 and the problem with, with, with movies that we're familiar with, if we're not careful, we miss kind of some of the nuances, the plot development, the characters, and we miss what's really happening. But boy, that is so true when we think about the Christmas story. Because if we're not careful, we're so familiar with the story that we really miss the nuances and we really miss what God is trying to say. So, so if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to a very familiar passage, but I'm going to ask you to do something. Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to ask you to do something. wonder if we listen to this scripture like we've never heard it before, not like we've seen it a thousand times. And, and maybe God will show us something because here's the first key, I think, to recapturing wonder is to see this story with fresh eyes of faith. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Sometimes people wonder, why is that thrown in? Because here's what I want you to understand. The story of Christmas, the story of Jesus is not a fairy tale. This is a historical event with real characters, real political leaders set in a real time. And Luke wants us to know this literally happened. Verse 3, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Verse 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, that's where he and Mary lived, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was from the house and the lineage of David. Now, Joseph, to me, is a, such a fascinating character in this story. Do you know that Joseph never says anything in the Christmas story? He doesn't have a song. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't pray. We don't, we don't hear him say anything, but what we, we do is we see him act in faith, in obedience, he does what God calls him to do multiple times in this story, and God blesses these acts of obedience. So it says in verse 5 that he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. She was great, big, pregnant. You know that. Nine months in. And they were traveling, the story says, the scripture says, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which was a 70-mile journey. Nazareth is a little town in the mountains in the, in the northwestern corner of the nation of Israel, not so far away from the Mediterranean that they couldn't on some morning smell the salt air, but a long way from Jerusalem and then even seven miles further south to Bethlehem. It's a long way to go on foot with a pregnant wife. It says in verse 6, and while they were there at just this time, 
only intended to be in Bethlehem for a couple days. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and, and, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger. So she takes rags and, and wraps him tightly, which was the custom that good moms would do to protect these children, to allow them to sleep better because they felt secure coming out of, of, of the womb. But I, I can't help but think every time I, I read that, that there's more to the swaddling clothes than, than Mary just being a good mom, which she was, that one day this baby born king would throw off those linens and those garments and defeat death. After she wrapped him, it says she laid him in a manger. That sounds neat. It's where the animals would have eaten. It was a grot- as grotesque a place as you can imagine. Let me really get your juices flowing. I fed my big lab this morning, same bowl. He eats so fast that my wife got him a bowl. It's actually a maze. Literally, you put the food in there and it makes him slow down when he eats. The problem is it is the nastiest bowl imaginable. And every morning it's kind of gross before you have your coffee. Here's his feeding trough. I don't know about you. The long-awaited king of the universe spent his first night there. She placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's fascinating. You know, when we look at this story, if we could begin to see the Christmas story with fresh eyes, we would begin to realize that if we were writing this story, we probably wouldn't have written it this way. This is a long-awaited Messiah. We might have done things a little bit different. I mean, for, for instance, Bethlehem. Why not Athens, the center of intellectual thought? Why not Rome, the center of political power? Why not Jerusalem, the center of religious authority? Bethlehem, backwoods town, a forgotten place. See, there's plot twists here that God wants us to see something from them. No room at the inn. Are you kidding me? Joseph, you don't talk much, but surely you're an organized guy. You forget to make reservations. What, what gives? God, really, this is your son? You don't have connections in Bethlehem? You see, we wouldn't have written it this way. A manger? To be honest, that's borderline gross. First guest? The biggest outcast in the day? Shepherds? Sometimes our story feels this way, though, doesn't it? Maybe that's why somewhere along the line you've lost wonder. Because it doesn't seem to be lining up the way you thought it would. 20 years with the company and this happens. We raised three kids and you're walking now? I haven't been a sick a day in my life, and this diagnosis comes. You see, sometimes our story kind of reminds us of the Christmas story. We probably wouldn't write it that way. But then, as we really dig in and press into the nuances, 
the plot twist, the characters, and we see that there's something far greater going on in this story that we might have missed or overlooked. And God gives us fresh eyes to see it in a way that we've never seen it before. And then we're reminded that Christmas tells us that God writes better stories than we can ever imagine if we'll let him. See, one of the things about looking at the story with fresh eyes is we need to understand what it means, again, to have childlike faith. There's this story in the New Testament where Jesus is teaching and his disciples are all worked up because he's, he's seated and he's teaching and kids are coming up and sitting all over him, climbing all over him, and the disciples are pushing him off because, you know what, he's, he is the, he's the ultimate rabbi, he's the Messiah, get away from him. I, I would have figured Simon Peter's a little rough with the kids as he's pushing them off, and then Jesus shows up and he says, no, 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 let the little children come to me, and the disciples say, changing plans, Jesus wants a sermon prop, and they bring the kids back up. Mark chapter 10, verse 13, listen. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, righteous anger. And he said to them, let the children come to me, and don't do anything that would hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of God. What do you mean, Jesus? The kingdom of God belongs to children. Truly, Jesus said, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. Whoa, that's strong. You see, having fresh eyes means this, recapturing childlike faith. One of the amazing things about kids, they believe anything's possible. One of the amazing things about kids is they believe anything is possible. I don't know about you. I, I remember when I first came to faith in Christ as a young boy, I, I, was, I was so excited about what God had done. I was so excited to know that my sins were forgiven. And I, was, I, I, I sensed God doing something in my life. And it was so different. It was so fresh and new. And, and I, I, I prayed about everything. Do you remember that period of time? Can you just go back, those of you who are believers, do you remember what it was like when it was so fresh and it was so new? I remember before school, I would sit in the cafeteria. Kids, you have no idea about this. But we, we, we played paper football. That was when it was tough to be a kid. So whoever got there, got a sheet of notebook paper, you folded it just right. It was like origami or something. You made this triangle thing and you pushed it across the table. How many of you remember that? I used to play with a buddy of mine every morning. And I, I remember as we were playing paper football, telling him about what God had done in my life. And I still almost can see the image in my mind because early on, I wanted everybody to know about what God had done in my life. But I don't know about you. But as I got older, something happened to me. I've tended to lose a sense of wonder. I've been more skeptical, cynical, a little more calloused. You see, sometimes life has a way of doing that to us. What do I want? I want to go back to those days believing that nothing was impossible for my God. You see, that's what Mary said when the angel spoke to her and told her that what was going to happen to her 
was going to be a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit that would overshadow her. And though she'd never been with a man, that she was going to bear the God man. And she said, be it unto me according to your word. I don't understand it, but I believe it. Here's the thing about Mary. She was old enough to bear a child, but she was still young enough to believe like a child. I want that again. Here's what Christmas does for me. Christmas dares me to wonder again. I wonder about you. Does the story of Christmas dare you to wonder again that maybe it really is true, that nothing is impossible with our God? Eugene Peterson said this about wonder. Wonder keeps us open-eyed, expectant, alive to life that it always more than we can account for, that always exceeds our calculations, that is always beyond anything we can make. Some of you today have lost a sense of wonder in your relationship with God. Some of you have lost a sense of wonder in your marriage. And it's been a year of going through the motions. But what would it be like if for this Christmas, God was able to allow you to recapture wonder? Fresh eyes are always a key to recapturing wonder. I want to share one other thing, but before I do, I just wonder how many of you right now would just, would just pray that. Lord, would you bow with me right now? Lord, I have lost a sense of wonder. And Father, today, would you begin in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit to allow me to recapture wonder, amazement, admiration and awe of who you are. Help me see you like it was the first time. Amen. You know, the second thing I would say today is this, just very quickly. You can't have wonder without a little wondering. And I want to give some travel tips because in the last 25 or so years of doing ministry, here's what I have seen more than anything else. You see, before we really experience wonder, we have to be willing to go through a little wandering. That was Mary and Joseph's story. That's 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem and a difficult journey, nine months into this pregnancy, not easy, but most of us give up before God really shows up. And so I want to give you some travel tips for your journey. First one is this. Buy your gas in Murfreesboro because it's 35 cents cheaper a gallon than anywhere else in Middle Tennessee. <laughs> I have family here from Brentwood today. Their gas is more expensive. It's not better. It's just more. <laughs> Here's where we are in our journey. We're all somewhere between Nazareth and Bethlehem. Do you, do you follow that? I, today, everybody in this room, we're somewhere between Nazareth and Bethlehem. The problem is when it gets difficult, we're prone to take an exit, to detour, and turn to other things. And those things don't deliver the wonder. The ask is today for some of you 
to get back on that journey again. Because Bethlehem is where wandering meets wonder. Here's the first tip. Wandering is hard, but don't give up on the journey. You see, there is this belief in Christianity that if it's difficult, then God's not in it. That's not true. <laughs> Wandering's hard, but don't give up on the journey. There are no shortcuts. I mean, initially, that's the first thing that comes to our mind. When something gets difficult, we want to take a shortcut, and that's what Joseph did. Because God shows up and, 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 and Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. And he knows that it wasn't his child. And so what does the scripture say? He had in his mind to divorce her quietly. That was a shortcut. God shows up and says, no, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife. Because what has been started in hers from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph begins wandering. Mary could have stayed in Nazareth. You ever thought about that? Hey, Joe, that's your family line. Surely you can sign my name. Caesar gets paid. Everything's good. Mary knew that the, the prophecy, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, is that the Messiah would be, be born in, in Bethlehem. Wasn't sure how that was going to go down, but just at the right time, here comes this decree, and she understands, and she begins to wander. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. Somewhere between Nazareth and Bethlehem. Can I speak to some of you in your marriage today? Don't give up. It is always too soon to quit. Is it difficult? Yes. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean that God's not in it. It was certainly difficult for Mary and Joseph, wasn't it? Number two, when you don't understand what God is doing... And can I be honest with you, for most of my life, I haven't clearly understood what God was doing. When you don't understand what God is doing, remember what God has spoken. This is a big tip for your journey. Because really, it's what allowed Mary and Joseph to make their way to Bethlehem. They knew this was a part of God's plan. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, this prophecy from almost a 1,000 years before Jesus would be born, giving us the location of where he was going to be born. Because many times you will not know what God is doing, but you have to remember what he said. What did the angel say to Mary? you'll call this child Emmanuel because it will be God with you. Can I tell you something today? You may not understand what God is doing in your life right now, but that promise is true for you. The Bible says about you, if you're in Christ, that the Lord will never leave you and he will never forsake you. When you don't understand what God is doing, remember what he has said. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, what does it say? In all things, God is working together for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I am remembering what you said. Because if all you do is try to read God through your circumstances and situations, you're prone to quit wandering somewhere between Nazareth and your Bethlehem. I hear people say this all the time. It's not exactly biblical. People say, well, well, I know God will never give me more than I can handle. Yes, he will. In fact, God will oftentimes give you and I more than we can handle. Why? So that we can fully depend upon him. He will bring you to the end of yourself so that you can fully depend upon him, which is where life begins. 
I know the passage where this thought comes from. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But you bearing this temptation is not based on your strength. It's based upon him. But listen to the great promise. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So when you don't understand what God is doing, remember what God has said. Number three. Listen, a valley in your life doesn't necessarily mean that you took a wrong turn. Can I tell you that again? A valley in your life doesn't mean that you necessarily took a wrong turn. Sometimes valleys are a result of a wrong turn, and God is calling us to repentance, and God will reveal that to you. Sometimes a valley in your life is to make you much more compassionate with hurting people, and God will reveal that to you. But sometimes, like in this case with Mary and Joseph, the valley that they were going through, and you say, what do you mean a valley? I'm talking about a 70-mile walk when you're nine months pregnant. That's difficult only to arrive and have no reservations. That's difficult. That looks like a valley. And here's what we're doing. We're prone to read valleys and say, God, you're angry with me. God, you're punishing me. You see, not every valley means that you made a wrong turn. This story will remind you of that. But what happens, why is this so important? If you believe that, the enemy will want you to believe that, and we quit wandering. And in so doing... We forfeit the opportunity to experience wonder, which is what you're looking for. Can can I tell you this? Sometimes the valley that you're going through has very little to do with you. And you say, well, where, where, where are you getting that? Mary and Joseph, think about this. No room at the end. God, what are you doing? That doesn't make any sense. You see, Mary and Joseph... Not finding any room at the end meant that you and I would have room at the cross. Because this baby wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a barn. I don't know your story. I know my background. I'm not welcome at the palace. I got boots on this morning as a reminder that I'm welcome at the barn. You see, that could be seen as a valley. It wasn't. It didn't have really much to do with Mary and Joseph had everything to do with what God was doing in somebody else's life. Lastly, fourth thing, and we're done. Sometimes it takes a mess to have a miracle. You think about it. For a miracle to occur, there has to be a mess. Wasn't that the case with Moses and the great miracle in the Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea? We tend to think about that. What we forget is there was a mess before the miracle. What was a mess? The most powerful army in the world bearing down on Moses. He stuck between the most powerful army in the world and a sea in front of him with a group of Hebrews who were like cats, scared to death of the water. That, my friend, is a mess. And then God parted the sea. I don't know where you are today. And you may say, my life feels like a mess. My family feels like a mess. Can I tell you the good news of Christmas? A 70-mile walk with a dude who didn't talk very much. Nine months pregnant. You just enter into this backwoods town. Finally, we're here. Her body contracting. Her hair 
wet with sweat, the pain excruciating, only to hear the news, there's no place for us to stay. To that you might respond, what a, what a mess. What a mess. What a miracle. Many of the things in our lives that on the surface seem inconvenient, could you listen? Many of the things in your life that on the surface seem inconvenient, confusing, or difficult may be the hand of God leading us to our Bethlehem. Don't give up. Wonder is available. God grant me fresh eyes to believe like a child. Wonder is going to take some wondering. God grant me the grace to continue to wonder. And wonder always has had an object. Jesus, I have given myself to everything. That was Jack's story. What's yours? But maybe this year, with eyes of faith, I will for the first time make you the object of my wonder. Can I tell you something about this baby-born king? He will not disappoint. He will not disappoint. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Father, thank you for this amazing story that sadly we have heard so many times. We have become so familiar that we miss the majesty in the story. God, grant us fresh eyes to believe again to have childlike faith, to believe nothing is impossible with you. And Father, for so many of us through the years in our wandering, we have stopped somewhere between Nazareth and Bethlehem. Father, would you grant us the grace again to wonder? And God, could we see that Bethlehem is where our wandering and our wonder meets? And it would be you. And we would begin to lean into you with faith like never before. And let you do in our life what only you can do for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 8.20, 9.40, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlife.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.